two of last week's message. Last week's message was called A Tale of Triumph. We were in Joshua chapter 10, verses 40 through 43. And what we were doing there was really looking at the victory that had taken place in southern Canaan and sort of what facilitated that and what uh, allowed that to take place. First thing we noticed with the Israelites was the fact that they were complete in their purge. It was the Israelites' systematic and exhaustive approach at dealing with every single wicked settlement that allowed them that victory in southern Canaan. And we saw in the dedication that they that we saw in them, we saw how it is you and I should be dealing with the disobedience and these areas of disobedience in our own lives. Because if we're going to possess our promised land for us, right? If we're going to possess our spiritual promised land, it's not going to be because of our strength of character or because of our personal fortitude. It will be because of the fact that we have made ourselves dependent upon the Lord. It's through that aspect of dependence upon God that we can see our spiritual promised land become ours. Our spiritual promised land is a place of peace with God. It's a place of fellowship with God. And my question for us today, how is our peace with God right now? If we think about our personal walk, are we at peace with God? If not, it may be that there's some things within our own hearts, right? Some things maybe that we have not dealt with. Some things that maybe we never even saw as bad or negative in the past. And maybe God's bringing them to our hearts and bringing them to our understanding. And what we need to do and what we learned from them was, hey, you know what? They completely wiped out all evil in southern Canaan. And guess what? As we're dealing with our promised land, we need to go and do the exact same thing. Then we also saw that they were determined in their purpose. And it wasn't just their dedication to the mission that they were given, but it was also their dedication to the Lord. They had complete dedication in God, and their success was based upon that. It was their faithfulness to Him. They were dedicated to the Lord and His commands. And it was their unwavering faith It is this beautiful picture for us, right? The Israelites, remember, in the Old Testament, when you see them, they are a picture of the individual believer. So when we see them functioning and we see them trying to attain their promised land, for us it's peace with God. For them, it was a a physical place. The same driving force for them, which was that aspect of, hey, you know, we're committed to doing what God's called us to do. That's what we should be committed to, right? God's committed us to reach, reach the world. What Steve was just talking about. Man, what's the, what's the motivation? Guess what? Our life is supposed to speak of the gospel of Christ. We're supposed to bring hope to a hopeless world. But there's a sense of urgency that we saw with them, and that's what was the next thing we looked at last week, was the fact that they were delivered in their pace. They wasted no time in confronting wickedness and destroying it. There was a contrast that we made last week, which is the contrast between their sense of urgency and our sense of procrastination that most of us live with in the world today. Right? There's something that's hard to do or something hard to deal with. We're very good at going, you know, tomorrow is the day to take care of that because today I've got some things I need to focus on. Right? That's unfortunately the norm of the day that we have or where we live now. But it is the attitude that they had in dealing with everything that we must have exactly the same attitude. As the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 16, redeeming the time for the days are, are evil. So we recognize the fact that, listen, you know what? If we're going to do it, now's the time. And we looked at the aspect, next thing we got was the fact they were fortified by God's presence. Because they were faithful to do their part, God was faithful to do his part. That's the way it works, right? God responds to our faithfulness. And we pointed out the fact that, listen, as they were working their way through southern Canaan, uh, all the victories were attributed to God. It was him that brought them. Verse number 42 said this, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. This pointed us to the mission that God's given us, not only to possess our promised land personally, That's certainly something we're supposed to do. But the byproduct of possessing your promised land is the fact that your life now speaks into the world around us, right? The Bible, we talk about what's called our testimony, right? The testimony. The Bible uses, when you see in your King James Bible, it'll say the conversation of our lives. So what is our life speaking to the world around us? What does the way we respond to adversity, the way we deal with challenges and temptations, how does that speak to those that are watching watching our lives. We are to be a true representative of our Savior. And the last thing we saw last week was the fact that as they were guided through this process of faithfulness, and they were faithful to do what God called them to do, they were then, the last thing, restored by God's peace. Chapter 10 ended with the fact that the Israelites were going to go back to Gilgal. Right? Gilgal was their, their base of operations. That was their safe place, their, their place of rest. And we saw that as adversity comes, recognize the fact that God's going to give us rest. Right? God brings a victory, and there will be opportunities on earth, certainly. We're going to get a chance to 
like Steve is asking, hey man, can we get a little bit of rest while we're here? Just a little bit of time to restore ourselves. That doesn't mean we go, you know what, I'm not going to worry about my relationship with God. I'm just going to focus on me. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. What this is, is this is fellowship with God, man. Getting in that quiet place with God. Letting Him restore and strengthen you. Because understand, there's not only that, that aspect of the, the rest on earth, but there's also a rest coming Right? And a rest that God's going to provide for us that's beyond what we can possibly imagine in His, in his presence. Amen. Then we look at this and we go, you know what? Okay, what's going to happen next? So we've seen this great victory, but what happens and what we learn is the fact that when God brings a great victory, that does not mean that all of the battles are done. Because I can promise you, listen, there are battles for the souls of men on the horizon every single day. And there will come times where we're going to have victories. God's going to do great and mighty things. But there are conflicts that are going to come. And what we're going to be looking at today as we go into chapter number 11 is we're going to be looking at this aspect of the response to the great victory. What's happening is they've seen this amazing thing take place in southern Canaan, but northern Canaan is watching and listening. And you know what happens when God does something great? There's always going to be a counter assault. It's like a chess game. God makes a move, the devil's like, ah, how can I stop? So when we're trying to take positive steps in our promised land, and we're like, okay, good, I'm moving forward. You think the devil's like, ah, man, lost another one. No. He's like, oh, focus there. Okay? And let's hope they take enough rest that they'll take off their armor and put down their shield and take off and put their sword on the ground and think that everything is good. Because you know what? Let's let them think that's what's happening while we amass our forces to bring destruction in their life. And it's that aspect because we naturally are lazy, because we naturally procrastinate. Instead of dealing with little issues that we might see in our lives, we're like, ah, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And I can promise you, when we put things off, that the devil is rallying his forces to bring Destruction. As we move into chapter number 11, what we're going to see as we step into the pages of history is evil's response to righteousness. In chapter Joshua chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the Word of God. Uh, Father, you know that I have prayed and I have asked you uh, diligently, Lord, to speak to me, and I believe that you have. And Lord, I'm asking you now that, Lord, you just, that you would speak through me. Uh, that this would not be the message that I choose to give. Lord, it would be just exactly what you want us to hear. Uh, Father, you have a purpose and a plan for this message, and I pray that, Lord, it will land uh, where it needs to land. Help it make the impact that it needs to make. Lord, help it be an encouragement. Help it to be a challenge. Uh, Lord, help us to confront uh, issues maybe in our own hearts and uh, see what's going on in the world around us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for this time of year. Uh, Lord, help us not lose sight of why it's important and what it's all about. God, I pray that you'll use me now remove the human element from this message and speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It says, And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ashaph, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and on the plain south of Chinneroth, and in the valley and the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite in the mountains, and to the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. What we can see is that the news of southern Canaan's fall has spread like wildfire. It has gone across into Canaan. Now we can only imagine what these kings, what these people have heard about these Israelites, this army of God that have marched their way from city to city, bringing absolute, utter, and complete destruction, wiping out every single individual that opposes them, all the while without, not, without suffering a single casualty. Whoa. Okay? So if we were those northern kings, we could probably think that, you know what, we could presume that this invulnerability is an exaggeration. We've heard, wow, they're devastating. But I mean, I mean, can they really be, could they really be that powerful? And at the point is, it's an absolute fact. That's exactly what has taken place. There has not been a loss of life in the Israelites because they have trusted God and God's been the one that's fighting for them. So what's happening is opposed to facing off against an enemy army, little do they know that they are in fact facing off against their creator. 
They are, in fact, facing off against the all-powerful God of the universe. For you see, it is God that brings the victories over evil. And when you and I face off, face off against wickedness in our lives, in whatever fashion it may appear, what you've got to remember is that this should be true for us. No matter how evil shows up in our lives, it is God who will bring the victory. Repeatedly in Scripture, we see that the battle is the Lord's. Let's look here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat is facing off against an insurmountable pagan army. I'm talking the hills are alive with the sound of pagans. They're everywhere, right? And man, oh man, they look out and they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by the moment. Listen to what God says, 2 Chronicles 20, 17. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow you go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Exodus chapter 14, Moses is standing at the, the shores of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind him. Listen to what he says. Sounds amazing like 2 Chronicles 20, 17. Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, word for word, which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today. You shall see them again no more forever. Verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you. Ye shall hold your peace. King David, when he was just a boy, went and faced off against Goliath, an insurmountable man, nine feet tall, a monster. Everyone, the entire army scared of him. Listen to what David says, 1 Samuel 17, verses 47. He says, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Remember what God promised Joshua when they first came into the promised land. Before they ever got anywhere, before they'd faced their first battle, He said this, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. A promise. Next, He says, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous. You know why you got to be very courageous? Because he's going to ask something really difficult of them now. You know what he's going to ask them to do? Keep my word. Keep my word. Notice this. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. That thou, may prosperous, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. You keep the word of God and you will watch. You will see victory. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according all that is written therein. For then, if you are faithful to do what I have called you to do, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So why do I take the time to remind us of these promises, these Old Testament stories? Because can I tell you, the Old Testament is a picture book for us to learn from. God put these stories in here for a specific purpose to instruct us on how God functions, how God works with His people, how God works with those that are faithful. Listen, these things are designed. These ancient stories are to be applied to our current day. They're supposed to be used in our spiritual walk. Paul explains this to us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Listen to how he lays it out for us. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, talking to the church, I would not that ye should be ignorant. He says, listen, you need to know this fact. Okay, you need to know this fact. Pay attention. I would not that you be ignorant, that you should be ignorant. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized. He's talking about the Exodus. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Talking about the, the Red Sea. And did all eat. Notice this. The same spiritual meat. He does not say they ate a physical meat. Remember, they were in the Exodus. They were eating manna. It was a physical manna that God provided for them. They would physically eat. Notice how he references it here. This is, he says, spiritual manna. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you a physical story about physical things, but I'm actually talking to you about something spiritual. That's, he's given this insight, right? He says, they did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Now, they drank physical water. We're drinking the living water. For they drank of that spiritual rock, that followed them, and that, notice here, he gives us an indicator, that rock was Christ, right? But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Ugh. 
603,548 of them, he was not well pleased because they died. For they are over, they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse number six. Now these things were our examples. To the intent, we should not lust after things as they also lusted. He said, listen, we're to learn from their mistakes. Do what they did right, but listen, pay attention to what they did wrong. Unfortunately, they did a lot more wrong. Verse number seven, neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples. Learn, learn, learn. Learn, I'm teaching you from these Old Testament stories. And they are written for our admonition as a warning for how we should live upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall. He says, literally, he's telling you right there, he's saying, you know what? Learn from the past. Because if you don't learn from the past, you know what you're going to do? You're going to repeat it. You're going to do the same things that they did. So learn. Verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. He's referencing it right there. He says, listen, thousands of years ago, the mistakes that they made, if you're not careful, you're going to make the exact same mistakes today. Right. Notice this. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And that way of escape is Him. Amen. It's turning to God. That's what the Israelites had to decide to do. That's what we have to decide to do. Will we trust ourselves or will we trust God? Listen, He is faithful. He's always faithful. And the reason I want to reinforce that is because what will happen is if we lose sight of the truth that God fights for us, that God's the one that brings the victories, that God sees and understands what we don't understand, and He can do the impossible. If we lose sight of that truth, we can get overwhelmed by what we see. Evil can amass its forces, and you know what? We can get intimidated. We can become fearful. We can become devastated because of the power that appears to stand before us. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because, this is what I want us to hold on to, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is an absolute fact of the reality that we live in. No matter what our eyes tell us, this is a fact. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our victories come through God. Listen, he's encouraging us. He's encouraging us through this. And see, we have to hold on to this and establish this fact in our hearts that God fights for us. And it's not about circumstances. It's about trusting him. So when opposition comes against God and God's people, which we see, for us, it's pictured for us in this northern kingdoms, right? This is what's taking place. They're responding to a victory that God brought, and their response is, guess what? They're going to come against God's people. They're going to come as a unified force. First, we're going to see that they are united in their leadership. Number one says, And it came to pass when Jabed, king of Hazor, had heard those things. Remember, he recognized, he's read, he heard the stories, heard those things that he sent to Jobab, king of Maiden, and to the king of Shimron, and the king of Ashaph, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and on the plains south of Chinneroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor on the west. And so in response to the stories that they have heard of the miraculous work of God in southern Canaan, well, the leadership of the northern territories have united with a common cause. They have found something that unites them, a common enemy, a common enemy, a common threat that they can all agree on, which just so happens to be the one true God, Jehovah. So they have come to wage war on God and on God's people. For you see, the way they, these wicked earthly kings from all over northern Canaan were nothing more than pawns for the true rulers of this world. Can I tell you there is wickedness on this planet that we don't see? Who use human proxies to wage war on God's people and the work of God every single day? For you see, they hate God and His people from the depths of their dark hearts. But you know what? Paul gives us a glimpse into that world. In Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 12, you know what he says? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, you're not, you're not fighting against what you see, the people you see. No. 
but against principalities, against powers. Notice this, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. They're hiding in the darkness. We can't see them. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, these are the same evil rulers that Joshua's dealing with. Guess what? They're just as powerful today. They're just as strong today. They're just as active today. The only difference is the form in which they reveal themselves. Notice what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. Something we need to always keep track of. It says this, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. What's already happened before, guess what? It's going to happen again. He says it again. And that which is done is that which shall be done. Okay? This, there's, this, and he says, There is no new thing under the sun. So the same wicked rulers that Josh was facing off are the same wicked rulers that we're facing off in. They just come in a different form. They don't look like kings from the north, but you know what? They look like, you name it, man. Our world's got every which way, but loose they can show up. Can I tell you that the rulers of this world, the pawns being used for wickedness in our day and age, are just as united in their opposition to God as they were 3,000 years ago. And those that have power on the earth today, you know what? They're not seeking God. They oppose God. And you know what? They don't actually really understand why. They just know there's a hatred in their heart for the things of God. You ever notice people's vehement activity towards trying to, to disallow God, to disavow that God even exists? Such an absolute... People will live their whole lives trying to prove their atheistic views. You must believe. You must. Be, why put so much time and energy in something that does not exist? Right? If he does not exist and you're absolutely convinced of it, then why would you spend your life trying to prove that he doesn't exist? Just accept he's not there. They don't go out and do that to the tooth fairy. There's nobody out there going, man, we're going to prove that Easter Bunny's not real. I'm telling you. Research, 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 research. I'm reading 20 books about that Easter Bunny and how he's not true. No. Because you know why? They can't explain why that hatred's there, but at the same time, they recognize that, you know what? There's something there. I don't want to accept it, but there's, there's something there. Jesus is going to reference that irrational hatred. He says this in John 15, 25. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. And we can see this irrational hatred towards God. We can see it in our culture, right? If you go and you just go online and go watch video shorts or watch Instagram or whatever those things. There's all kinds of different methods in which it shows up. The people that are influencers in the world. Boy, are they speaking good of God. Are they speaking good of morality? No. It's the exact opposite. And there's contempt for God in almost everything that's popular. Children's education. There's an agenda in children's education to destroy the view of God absolutely, I mean, concentrated, specific effort to attack God. They don't know why, but they're rebelling against their creator. In the politics that are taking place in the world today, politically speaking, are things getting more godly or less? Yeah. Across the board, across the world. Consider what's going on in our media. What's accepted? What used to be acceptable and what's acceptable today? Just in the last 10 years, my goodness gracious, the standard of what's, you know, they used to have people who used to sit on the sets and watch for words and watch for things that would happen. I think those people have all just gone to sleep or they fired them all because, you know, what? all bets are off. Yeah. Do and say whatever you will. Yeah. And so what we have is this, this aspect of, of humanity in our world today. It's very much like it was in the book of Judges, 21-25. It says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Don't you dare judge me. I'll decide what's right. I'll decide what's true. I'll decide what's moral. I'll decide. I'll decide, not God. That's the world we live in. The devil and his minions and his minions have become so bold that you know what? They have pulled off their mask. They're not hiding their agenda. There's a show called Santa Clauses. Okay? It's on Disney. It's for kids to watch. And there's a scene on there where they have all these elves and they're dancing around and they're going to hold up a sign. And it says, we love you, Santa. But this is actually what they did. 
We love you, Satan. Children, right? And that's the joke. Ha, ha, ha. We're just joking around. But it's put right out there, man. Children. This story, this, this concept is being spread all over the world that people are literally worshiping wickedness. They're turning to evil. The time of the Lord's return is getting close. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 8. The Bible says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, remember we know what that is? That's the return of Christ. That day shall not come except there come, notice this, a falling away first. Where people that used to claim themselves to be Christians have turned away from God. A falling away from the faith. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. According to Pew Research, those claiming to be Christian. Now notice, this can be Protestant, this can be Catholic, this can be Mormon, all you, everybody, everybody who claims Christianity, whatever ilk you're going to be. The number of people that have claimed it in the last decade it has dropped 12 points. The number of people claiming to be Christians in the United States today is at the lowest point it has ever been in history. And yet, those claiming to be agnostic and atheistic in the last decade, it's climbed up another nine points. It now represents 26% of our population. God, God's not real. And so what we see is the devil is working his way, right? Matthew 24, 12 says this, And because iniquity shall abound, talking about the end times, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Can we not see that in the culture today? There's love of self, but the love of their fellow man is wax cold. We see the devil usurping authority in every level of our society. Notice what it says in verse number 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is God, all called, all called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, that was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul says, I warned you. And now you know that what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, wicked, this is, this is the Antichrist coming to, the, to, to light. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He says, in the world today, he is already functioning in the society that you're in. Only he who now letteth, that word letteth means restrained. He who right now is being restrained, guess what? He's getting ready to get unrestrained. He says, will let until he be taken out of the way. And here we see our Savior. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And because of Satan's wicked, God-hating influence, not only has corruption uh, infiltrated and infected the leadership of our world, those who wield power and authority, but guess what? Our society as a whole, we can see by the numbers that we just looked at, our society as a whole is embracing unrighteousness. Embracing unrighteousness. Listen to Proverbs talks about a coming generation. Listen to how it's described. It's specific. Proverbs 30, verses 11 to 14. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. Family, the values of family destroyed. Verse 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. Man, we're good people. Look at me on Instagram. Good, man. Look how good I am. And yet is not washed from their filthiness. They're good without God. Impossible. Verse 13, there is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes. Man, they think so highly of themselves. And their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are as swords. You know what it's talking about? The words that they speak. Have you ever gone on the internet and watched the comment sections on how people communicate? You'll never see something more wicked, more vicious than you can possibly imagine. People will say things we would never dream of saying. Because guess what? Humanity has embraced wickedness. And it says, and their teeth, their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among them, among men. It's talking about wanton selfishness, a desire for things. I firmly believe that the generation that this is talking about is either on the earth as we speak or is literally right around the corner. And so as we consider this response of evil, 
Next, we see that they're united in their identity. Verse 3, And to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the mountains, and to the Hivite under Hermon and the land of Mizpah. So these people groups in Canaan, they all have different customs, they have different origins, they have different uh, cultural identities, but they all have one thing. They have one thing in common. The one thing that unites them is the stories that they've heard from southern Canaan, the threat from below. For you see, these folks, though they have diverse backgrounds and though they all come from different areas, they're common. The common thread is their rebellion against God. You see, they have their, their own gods, each one. If we research them, we find out these, uh, the, the Canaanites worshipped a myriad of gods. Uh, the three top would be El, E-L, Asherah, and they worship Baal. The Amorites worshipped Amuru and Belatziri. The Hittites worshipped thousands of gods, with the most prominent ones being Tarhun and Hanmusut. The Perizzites primarily worshipped Baal. The Jebusites worshipped Shalim. And the Hivites worshipped Moloch, Baal, and Ashtaroth. So they have no place for God. To say they have no place for God is an understatement. They already have their hearts delivered to these other gods. So there's no place in their heart for their creator, the one who God created, the one who created them for a love relationship with them. They're filled with false gods. And we look at our world today, and the majority of our population, you know what? Their hearts have been given to other gods. Now, whether they are physical gods, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witness, whatever it is, whatever false religion, but you know what? There's a lot of people that have given their hearts to money. That's their God. Right? Or social, social status, or, or, or fame, or, or, or personal fulfillment. That's their God. That's what they worship every day. That's what they work towards every day. That's their, their dedication. And sadly, because of that fact, there is no place for God in their hearts. The Bible identifies the people of this world as the children of disobedience. We see three different times. You see it in Colossians 3.6, Ephesians 5.6, and in Ephesians 2.2. Listen to what Ephesians 2.2 says. Wherein, in times past, ye walked according to the course of this world. Okay, So he's saying, listen, this is where you've come from. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Children of disobedience. They're unified in one thing. They're not obedient to God. They're obedient to self. Which brings us to our next point. And their reaction is the fact that they're united in their defiance. United in their defiance. Notice this, verse 4. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore, in multitude with horses and chariots, very many. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of combatants showing up. Listen, these folks that were created by God, by the way, Created by God for a love relationship with Him. That's why He created them. All of humanity, God wants a love relationship with them. And that's true of the world today. God loves everybody. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There was no way for the world to save itself. So Christ came for that very purpose. But what we see here is these all stand as one, united in their contempt and defiance of God. And sadly, this is the state of our world today. Millions upon millions of people stand united in their defiance of Almighty God. Putting their faith in anything. Anything but their Creator. Right? How did we get here? Uh, aliens seeded uh, humanity on the earth. Oh, no, no, it's uh, multiple dimensions. It's got to be multiple dimensions. What facts do they have for any of this stuff? Nothing. Yet the Bible, just oh, the more and the more archaeologists dig, the more they keep verifying that the Bible is exactly what it says that it is. If you go to Israel right now, there's a, a piece of stone that was just found in Jordan not too long ago. Because what happens, there's a lot of people that actually said that David never existed. That there was no King David. This was an enemy talking about defeating David's army. It's written on a piece of stone that's sitting in the museum right now. And every time they say something's not real, God goes, you know what, <clears throat> just let me just roll this over. Take a look at what that says. Dang, man. I thought we had some fact. No. Because this, this word is true. But you know what? People start, you know, the Bible talks about that they're, they're become fool, they become wise in their own minds, right? You've got to be foolish in the world's perspective like me or you in order to actually have true wisdom. 
Because the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Foolishness with God. And we see here that they come here defiant of God. They won't turn to their creator. Verse number 4 tells us that they come bringing horses and chariots, very many. Do you realize that the horse-drawn war chariot at this point in time on the earth is the most devastating weapon that existed? This is like a panzer tank, man. There's nothing, nothing that could stand against this. So they're coming with everything they've got. They are coming to bring devastation. They want to stop the work of the Lord and stop His influence from spreading. Do you see what we're seeing pictured for us here? The influence of God is trying to be stopped. And they, just like like those who oppose God today, have the audacity to challenge the Lord. But not just challenge the Lord, but spit in the face of God. The same way they did when He was carrying His cross. To Gogotha's hill, ripping at his beard, spitting in his face, laughing at him while he was carrying a cross to be murdered for their sins to redeem them. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The unbelievable long suffering and love of God. Remarkable. And yet, people stand defiant. Because you see, from a worldly perspective, which is really crafted by the wicked rulers in this world. It's very, very hard for people to even understand what God's love is. They can't even perceive it. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4 says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Verse 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. You know why he did that? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He wants to keep them in the darkness. That's always the desire. Because of this blindness, instead of feeling love for their Savior, they are filled with an irrational contempt and hatred for the one who loves them. As Jesus said in John 15, 25, they hated me without a cause using his very name as a curse word. If you watch reveal shows and things like that where people walk in a room or someone's surprised by something, they don't ever say, Mohammed! Whoa, Buddha! No. Jesus Christ comes out of their mouth. The most lost of the lost in the world, the most godless people on the planet, will use Jesus' name as a curse word. They'll say, oh my God, not to give God reverence, but as an expletive. There is no other deity on this planet throughout history that has ever been used as a curse word, but the one true God. An irrational hatred. They don't even understand why. For see, they not only are they united in their leadership, united in their identity, United in their defiance, but they are also united in their aggression. Verse 5 says this, And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And can I tell you, this would have been an army to behold. I mean, it would have been incredible. Kings, soldiers, chariots, horses, it would have been intimidating to say the least to see them all gathered. Because recognize when they were down in the south, they weren't coming out. The Israelites were going to the cities. They were hunting down evil from place to place to place to place. But now evil has rallied itself. And all these guys come to one location and they go, we're going to wait here. And you know what? We're coming to bring destruction because of what it is you've done. It says they come to fight against Israel. They come to fight against Israel, contending. This offensive attack is coming for the very reason that they did what God called them to do. And can I promise you this? Listen, if it's on a personal level, if God brings a victory in your life, something you've been struggling with, and man, you have a victory, okay? Or maybe it's as a church, God does something great in this church or in our community. Can I promise you that when that great thing happens, 
there is a counteroffensive being prepared many times while we're just whew, taking in the victory. We're like, man, did you see what God did? And the devil's like, oh yeah, I saw. Come on, fellas. We got work to do. A counteroffensive is coming. In our world today, evil has never been so bold. Never been so united, never been so empowered, never been so brazen. We look at our culture today and we're like, how in the world did the things that are being talked about or, or, or professed today openly, how did it ever get to here? I'm, I'm only 55 years old. Notice I said only. Because um, I'm just a baby. But if I look back in my life, I can tell you when I was a kid, the things that are talked about today would have never, ever been spoken of. What's allowed in school would have never been allowed. What's allowed on TV would never. What's allowed on the radio would never, never. And then we have the internet, which has the filters. If you don't put a filter on your things that your children have access to, boy, you are opening up the gates of hell and pouring poison down their hearts. Because I'm telling you, it will destroy them. It will eat them alive and tell them that the answers are in the world and it will destroy them. There's countless people that are destroyed because of social media. What do we think bullying is bad in school where one or two kids pick on somebody? Imagine a nation of heathens trying to destroy your child. God forbid they do post something that becomes popular. It's unbelievable the hatred that exists in people. Because you know what? The devil hates humanity because guess what? We were created by God to be an image of Him. So there's an evil in this world, and it is brazen. If you see, the devil can see the writing on the wall. He knows that his time is short. He knows the Bible a lot better than we do. He's doing his best to try to, make, to prove that it's not going to happen. Right? He's doing his best to try to stop what says is going to take place. Why has the attack always been on God's Word? To destroy and distort the truth of what's to come because He doesn't want people to know. Why has there always been an attack on the seed of man? Because guess what? Because he, he knew Christ was going to come through the seed. And what happens? There's always been an attack and a corruption trying to destroy the seed of God. Yet God protected it. He preserved His Word. The Lord Jesus died on the cross, paid the price, gave us a way to salvation. He's given us the insight into the truth of what's to come. I can look in the book of Revelation. I can tell you where this world and where eternity is going to end. It's written down for us. But see, the devil knows this book too. And he's going, you know what I'm going to do? Though I know my time is short, I'm no chump. I'm not rolling over. I'm going to fight with everything I have until the very last moment. And what we're seeing today is he is digging in his heels to try to bring destruction. He's trying to take as many people to hell as he possibly can. Because listen, God's ultimate victory over evil is just on the horizon. But until that day, until that day, can I tell you, He's going to do all that He can to bring souls to hell. He'll do all that He can to attack the work of God. He'll be amassing His wicked forces in overwhelming numbers. And as I mentioned earlier, the reason why it's important for us to hold on to those reminders of God's promises is because if we're not careful, we can allow what we see to influence our hearts, to influence our faith, to influence our, our faithfulness, to make us depressed or hopeless because evil just seems to be everywhere. And we look up and we say, wow, wow. Because what happens, listen, if we walk by faith and not by sight, which the Bible specifically tells us to do, then what you and I can do, you see, we can see things for what they are. A desperate last hope for a foe that is already defeated. One who's already lost, whose time is running out. For you see, there is coming a day, quickly approaching, when evil will be destroyed. Where the chaos that rules the world as we speak will be turned into the order of God. There is coming a day. 
See, our challenge is to stand against evil no matter how it may appear before us. All the while living our lives for the glory of God. This is the challenge. And see, with that in mind, knowing that's what's happening, what we see pictured for here is a massive army designed to intimidate God's people. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. No, don't worry. We'll see next week. We'll see what starts to happen. But let me, let me challenge you. That listen, God wants us to stand strong, to stand for the truth. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. Because that day is going to be here before we know it. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through, remember the victories are through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58. Therefore, because we know this fact, because we have this truth, because we know the promise of God, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, because it is coming a day, this thing's coming to an end, God's going to bring the victory. Don't give up in the short term. Focus on the long term. Stay right. Stay righteous. Focus on your heart. Be the godly person that God created you to be. Impact the world. Make waves for righteousness. And when evil comes, don't try to fight it yourself. Say, you know what, God? The battle's not mine. The battle is yours. There is a final battle coming. But listen, we can be intimidated if we're not careful, if we allow what we see and allow what we feel to determine our faith. But we walk by faith and not by sight. The world looks wicked. It looks evil. And you know what? The Bible says that things are going to wax worse and worse before He comes to restart. And until then... Our job is to reach as many people as we possibly can through the way we face adversity, by faith. Because listen, can I tell you this? Though we can be overwhelmed by what we see, though we can be overwhelmed by what is around us, we need to be encouraged. Because you know what? In the end, God wins. God wins. If you're saved, God's already won in your life. Praise the Lord. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. Because I'm telling you, the battle is raging. And if you trust anything besides the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to bust hell wide open. You can be religious as anybody else. But if you're trusting anything besides the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Thank you guys for being here. May we be challenged to fight the good fight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the Word of God, the amazing truths revealed to us in the Old Testament as we walk through the book of Joshua. God, thank you so much for uh, the insight that you've given us uh, through your Word to understand it, uh, Father, and the way that you're guiding us, uh, Lord, to be those men and women of God uh, that you created us to be at a time, Lord, that is, that is challenging. As Mordecai told Esther, for such a time as this, for whatever reason, God, you created us to be here at this time, to be these soldiers on the battlefield for the glory of God. So, Lord, I pray that you help us to be people of faith, not of fear. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, listen, Pastor, I'm in, the, I'm in the midst of the battle. Right now, I am in the midst of the battle. And I'm, you know what? There's some things on the horizon that are intimidating. Would you pray for me to have the faith to stand against them? Would you pray? Yes, ma'am. Amen. Just raise your hand and say, listen, you know, Pastor, pray for me to have the faith that I need. Pray for me as I face the adversities of life that God allow me to be strong. Say, you know what? That's me. Pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me that God can do something great in my life. Amen. 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 Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that the battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. I pray for my brothers and sisters all over this room that are facing adversity in different ways. God, in whatever form or fashion, evil may show up. God, I pray. I pray, Father, for you to fortify them, for you, Lord, to help them to hold fast to the word of God, to the truths that you've promised. Lord, thank you that you will fight for them. I do pray for your strength in the meantime. I pray for your assurance, God, to strengthen and to support them as they face adversity. Lord, help them to stand, to stand and doing all to stand. Father, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And today, if you're here and you say, you know what, I don't know that I know Christ. What this means is I don't know that I truly have a relationship with him, that I am born again. We've all heard that term before. There's people watching this online. You know what? You're religious. 
Man, maybe you sat in church. Maybe you've prayed a prayer and you said, you know what, hey God, I know I've prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. But the question is this, did Jesus get your heart? It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the mind. It's not a decision that we make. It's turning from the world and receiving Christ. Repenting of the world means to turn away. It's no longer the solution. It is the problem. It's my very sin that has got me where I am today. And I understand that the only way out is through the love of Christ. Jesus on that cross offered salvation to the world. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have never personally received it, made a conscious choice in your own heart, to turn from your sin and receive the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, then you're lost. It's not a religious thing. It's just a matter of the heart. And if you've ever prayed and asked Jesus in your heart and you truly meant it, you were sincere with Him, man, He saved you forever. But if you haven't, I'm going to give you that chance today just to receive the gift, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers it to you now. All you have to do is receive it. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never received Christ, you've never truly been born again, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk to God and receive that gift. There's no magic in the prayer. There's, there's no magic in a ceremony. This is just a matter of your heart calling out to Him. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner. I also understand that that sin is going to take me to hell. And Lord, I don't want to be there. But more importantly, I want to be with you. God, I understand that you love me, that you died on the cross for me, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and that you resurrected on the third day. And Lord, uh, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.